Hey everyone, this is David from Wisconsin. I'm Jack's podcast producer. I just wanted to remind you real quick that Jack has a podcast hotline. You can leave him a voicemail at 920-415-4525. All you got to do is leave your name, where you're from, roughly, and then your question or comment, whatever. Jack really does want to hear from you. Again, that number is 920-415-4525. You can also text your questions to that number or email jack at jack.hager at gmail.com. All of those contacts will be in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Welcome to the premier issue of the Jack Hager podcast. Aren't we excited? Well, maybe not. Anyway, it's called You Know Jack, so probably we should start out by you knowing Jack. I am 73 years old. Do you recognize how difficult it is for me to say that? The great mystery of life is what such a young guy like me is doing in such an old body. But that's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be, so that's the way it is. Anyway, I was born at a very early age into a military family. I grew up in what I thought was a screwed-up family until I went to college and found out we weren't screwed up. We were dysfunctional. Yep, we were dysfunctional before it was trendy. My dad moved around a lot because of the military. When I was nine months old, we went to Germany for five years, came back to the States, began moving quite a bit. My parents, uh, to the best of my knowledge, never abused me. It was just kind of a neglect issue, which may be a form of abuse, I suppose. I don't remember ever being mishandled or mistreated or yelled at. I was just kind of ignored. Uh, My brother was 11 years older than myself, and he kind of was a dad to me, taught me how to drive, that kind of stuff. Uh, When I was 14 years old, I moved out by myself. Uh, During those years, I did a lot of stealing, got busted a couple times. Both times, they unfortunately did the same thing they do nowadays. They slapped me on the wrist and they said, if you ever do this again, you're going to be in big, big trouble. Well, they didn't teach me that actions have consequences, so I continued to do a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, did, again, get busted a couple times, but nothing ever happened. But the second time I got arrested, I figured I better go back to school. Went back to school. School was never academically hard for me. Maybe that was part of my problem. Graduated from high school in 1965. Hey, they wrote books about my class. Anyway, graduated from high school, was given a couple scholarships, said to myself, man, I do not want to go to no more school. But at the same time, there was a place called Vietnam getting hot and heavy, and I said, mm, I don't want to get dead neither. So I went down and I talked to my handy-dandy local United States Army recruiter. I filled out a bunch of paperwork. I turned it in. A couple weeks later, he called me down. He looked me right square in the eyes, and he said, Mr. Hager, you are exactly what the United States Army is looking for. And if you enlist in the Army Security Agency for four fun-filled years, not only will you not go overseas— You won't go to Vietnam. You won't go anywhere. You'll just stay in the States. I fell for it, went to basic training, went to advanced training, went to Korea for two years. From Korea, I went to Germany for a few months. From Germany, I found out my recruiter flunked geography really bad, went to Vietnam. Four years in the military during those years, not because I was in the military, but because of choices I made. I graduated from alcohol. That was my drug of choice in junior high and high school. Graduated from alcohol into marijuana, LSD for a little while, then skin-popped heroin, 
did a few other stupid things, got out of the military in 1969, very much in hate with the country. I do not hate it now. Please don't think you're listening to a fascist or a communist or a socialist for that matter. But when I came back from Vietnam, I was very much in hate with the country simply because of the fact they did not let us win the war. Instead of doing anything about it, I ran from it, went overseas for a while, bummed around, came back to Kwajalein, uh, got bored there, came back to the States, met a young lady who happened to work for some guys, went to work for them, was involved with multi-level marketing that happened to be illegal. I know there were some that would say all multi-level marketing is illegal. I am not in that school. But we dealt drugs, we dealt guns, we dealt people. Got away with it. You've heard all those stories before. It was uh, a lot of fun. It really was. I've heard people with my similar background who came to Christ and they'll say something about being lost and miserable in their sin. Maybe they were. I wasn't. I loved it. I loved sticking a gun in somebody's face. I loved being high. But there were those times I'd wake up at three or four in the morning and wonder, is this all there is? Is this really all there is to life? You see, I'd never been in church before except for weddings and funerals. I always knew there had to be some kind of a supreme being, some kind of a God, some kind of a creator. I did not know that the Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts. It was just a fact. I knew there had to be a something. I can remember laying on a beach with a couple of my buddies when I was maybe 16 years old, midnight, one o'clock, kicking back some Jack Daniels, smoking some weed, and just wondering, is this it? Is this all there is to life? And I remember a friend of mine saying, you know, Jack, I think the Martians planted us, which was really good, except where'd the Martians come from? So eventually, if you thought about it, you knew there had to be a first causal agent, something that started the whole thing. But I wanted to ignore that because I didn't want to be accountable to anybody. If there was a creator, it made me the created. And if I was the created, I had to be answerable to the creator. And I didn't want to be answerable to anybody. So like most people, I ignored it. Got away with the drug dealing stuff, had a whole lot of money, a lot of stuff going on. December 3rd, 1973, I get arrested in San Angelo, Texas. They throw me in Tom Green County Jail. I was awaiting extradition to the left coast. In jail, they found some drugs in the cell, which is not terribly unusual. The unusual thing is they punished us. They took away the TV set. They took away the Monopoly game. They took away the Louis L'Amour Westerns. They took away the weights. They took everything out, except what the Texas State Supreme Court said they couldn't take out, and that was the religious junk. Back then, believe it or not, I was dumber than I am now. I thought religion and Christianity were synonymous. I thought they meant the same thing. And after a couple days of being bored, I went over to the pile of books, and I suppose there were Bibles there. There may have been Mormon Bibles and JW Bibles. Uh, there were probably some really deep spiritual books like How to Lose Weight for Jesus. But there was a book at the very bottom, had a red, white, and blue cover on it, had an American flag on it, and had the word prison in the title. I'm not going to share the title with you because the book was pretty screwy. Didn't recognize it at the time, but I picked up the book to read it simply because it was going to talk about prison. I was not looking for God. I was not looking for a way out. I was just bored. And as I read this book, the gentleman was talking about his testimony, how he was an alcoholic, how he came to Christ. As I'm reading the book, he keeps referring to another book. So after a while, I figure out that other book has got to have more to it than this book does. So I put that book down and I picked up a Bible, probably provided by the Gideons. I don't know for a fact that it was, but I'm guessing it was. At that time, I didn't realize the Bible was 66 books written on three continents and three different languages over 1400 years. I just picked up the book and started at Genesis. 
I do not remember how far I made it, but somehow, some way, I got from the Old Testament to the New. Somehow, some way, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, in my humanity, I'm not looking for God. I'm not looking for a way out. But as I'm reading the Word of God, without my permission, I might add, the Holy Spirit, who I didn't even know existed, began convicting me of sin, judgment, and righteousness. It was a process. It wasn't an aha moment. It was a process of reading the Word. As I look back on it, I started to really get interested in Jesus when I realized from reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus never hammered the hookers. He never came down on the thieves. He never jumped in the face of the so-called lowlifes like me. Instead, the only people he ever hammered, the only people he ever came down on were the religious people, the people who thought, isn't God lucky to have me? The people who thought because they were jumping through the right hoops that somehow God owed them, and he called them a whole lot of politically incorrect things. That was pretty cool. I read some of the things he said. I read about the crucifixion. I read about the resurrection, and I said, cool story. Put the book down. And for a couple of days, tried not to think about it. But once I heard, or in my case, read about Jesus, I couldn't get Jesus out of my head. So a few days later, I came back and read the book, read some more of the Bible, read some more things. And on January 30th, 1974, the only reason I remember the date, I was 26 years old. I, kind of, I don't remember what day of the week it was, but I do remember it was January 30th. I went into my cell and I knelt down because somehow I knew that God was not my heavenly buddy, but he was an awesome God. He was worthy of my respect. There were some other guys in the cell who had some creative things to say, but back then I was in pretty good shape and I said, shut up, and they shut up. I wish I could tell you exactly what happened at that moment. I wish I could tell you I prayed the sinner's prayer, but I didn't. There was no repeat after me prayer in the end of the book. There was no chaplain. There was no nobody there but an incredibly lost sinner, that would be me, and an incredibly loving God. And at some level, I confessed that I was a sinner. I agreed with God that when he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it included me. I'm sure that in some way I told him that I believed in Jesus, because that's what John 3.16 says. It does not say, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever prays the prayer— it does not say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever joins a church. It simply says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. So in a very real sense, I believed in Jesus Christ. Not the way I used to believe in Santa Claus. Not the way I used to believe America was a great country and could never make a mistake. Not the way I used to believe that I was the best drug dealer and thief on the West Coast and I'd never get busted. But I believed. I trusted. I clung to. I relied on Jesus Christ. To the best of my knowledge, 10,000 angels did not come in the cell and do a square dance. If they did, I didn't see them. I didn't break out into a heavenly language. I didn't break out into tears. But there was a calm peace, a profound awareness that something happened, that Jesus Christ was real, that he had done something for me, and that I was in him, that I was forgiven. And again, it's so hard to look back and wonder how much did I understand Probably not a whole lot, because I don't understand a whole lot now. I certainly don't understand how a holy God could love a jerk like me. 
I couldn't understand how a holy God could send his son to live the life that I couldn't live and die the death that I should have died. I sure didn't know much about how God could declare his son to be his son by his resurrection from the dead. I didn't know boo about a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Nazarene or a Charismatic or a Pentecostal or a Wesleyan. I didn't know nothing about nothing. I just knew that God was real. He revealed himself in Jesus Christ and that I was in Jesus. For the next few years, I grew in grace and knowledge by God's grace. I read his word. The chaplain of the prison I eventually ended up with was as lost as an Easter egg. He had nothing to offer, but I had the word of God, and I read the word of God, and God, through his spirit, began to grow me. Maybe I'm in kindergarten. Maybe I'm in first grade now. Back then, it was all new. It was all fresh. Was released from prison after a few years. Uh, got a job as a janitor in a, in a church in Southern California, eventually found out about a Bible school in Kansas City, went to Bible school, uh, served Jesus during Bible school. He opened the doors for me to serve in various ministries. Since 1978, I've been in vocational ministry. Every Christian should be in ministry, but I've been in vocational ministry where I've served as a home missionary, working primarily in youth ministry, also in prison ministry, speaking in churches, doing school assemblies, a whole lot of stuff. And now I'm starting this. Another chapter in my life, another opportunity to brag on Jesus. It certainly won't all be gospel-centered, although gospel is the center of my life. Jesus is the center of my life, and I'll be bragging on him at every opportunity. But in the uh, weeks, months, whatever to come, I'll be discussing things, answering questions. I'm pretty opinionated about some stuff, and I'm sure willing to say, I don't know, when I don't know. For instance, I don't know about masks, and I sure don't know why people are yelling and screaming at each other about masks especially people of faith. I don't understand why people of faith are yelling at each other instead of living for Jesus and trying to impact the world. I don't understand why people have questions and we're not willing to talk about them. I don't understand. Well, as you can imagine, there's a whole lot of things I don't understand. But I do understand some things. God loves you. God desires to be very real and personal and powerful in your life. And as a child of God, he wants our gospel-centeredness to be centered on him, to be centered on the amazing fact that Christ died for our sins, that he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection, and that he matters, not just in eternity, but he matters today. And he should impact and color everything that we do, the way we interact with our family, the way we interact with the world, the way we interact with people who hate us. So I hope you'll come along for the ride. I hope you'll be part of this adventure as I try to unpack my life, be really open and transparent with you, be willing to admit my failings, my stumblings, my questions, and perhaps you and I can 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are. Hope you'll tune in and become part of this, because now you know Jack.